Good morning, Mercy Hill Church. It's good to be with you over the live stream this morning. If we haven't met and you're a guest who's tuning in with us, uh, let me introduce myself. My name's Brad. I'm one of the elders here. And we felt like it would be wisest today just to take one week and to meet over our live stream. And we'll be back here in person next Sunday. We had one uh, COVID positive case, the first one that we've had in our church family. And we were unable to track exactly um, where... Samantha might have contracted COVID from, and so we thought just to be on the safe side, we would take one week off. And so we'll look forward to being back in person um, for those of you who are able to be in person and for those of you who are worshiping via the live stream from home. We are grateful that we all can be together continuing to study through the Gospel of John. So grab your Bible, turn to John 14. Uh, Thanks, Todd, for reading the scripture today. Just a reminder where we are, Jesus is with his disciples on the evening before his crucifixion. In a few short hours, he will be arrested and beaten. So imagine what this night was like. He's been warning them that he would give his life as a ransom for many. That he would suffer and die on a cross. But the disciples didn't understand Their expectations of a Messiah were much different. They didn't involve suffering. Oftentimes in the same way that in coming to follow Jesus, our expectations don't always involve suffering. And Jesus instead, as they're arguing over who would be the greatest, Jesus models what greatness looks like in the kingdom of God as he takes a towel and ties it around him, taking the place of the lowliest of servants, and he washes their feet. He also warns them that one of them will betray him and that Peter will deny him and that they're all in danger of falling away. And so the disciples are at a moment where they are facing catastrophic failure. I don't know if you've ever felt that way in your life before. Like maybe in a moment in time, the way in which you're choosing to live life or maybe some decisions that you've made Maybe you're wondering if you also are facing catastrophic failure, if the way that you've chosen to do life, sometimes without God, other times with God, as if it is leading towards failure or darkness. That's where the disciples were. And Jesus warns them that he's going away, but that he's preparing a place for them. And we've looked at that over the last couple of weeks Preparing a place for them so that they can be in relationship with the Father. Both now and throughout all of eternity. Jesus has been speaking about salvation in heaven that come through faith in his death on the cross. And the glorious resurrection that is to come. And then today, in John 14, beginning in verse 15, in today's text, Jesus gives us crucial information about the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And here's what I want to do today. I want to teach through this text and inform and remind you of the Holy Spirit and, and remind you why Jesus said it is better that He would go away. J.D. Greer, in his book, Jesus Continued, said it this way, Why the Spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. I want to remind us of those truths today and of the truth that Jesus offers us, that His Holy Spirit is in us 
And that the Holy Spirit inside us is better if, than if Jesus had chosen to remain here on earth. You know, the Christian life is impossible, quite honestly. Did you know that? The Christian life is completely impossible without the work of the Spirit. And if you aren't actively depending on the Holy Spirit in your life on a daily basis, praying to the Spirit, walking in the truths that the Spirit brings to mind, resting in the work of Jesus that the Spirit reminds us of, if you aren't actively walking in the Spirit, then you're leading a miserable life as a follower of Jesus. You aren't living like a person who's under grace, but instead you're living most likely like a person who's trying to earn salvation, who thinks that God is rewarding you according to what you are uh, accomplishing or what you are able to do. And that's not the way in which God desires for us to live because the Holy Spirit has been given to us and He is the source of our power, of our joy, of our community with God. It's how we know we aren't orphans, but that we're sons and daughters of God who is making Himself known to us through the Spirit. Maybe you've heard lots of messages on the Holy Spirit and you, uh, maybe you think that your knowledge of the Spirit is um, really, really good. My guess is that there are very few of us who really walk and keep in step with the Spirit. And so I just want to encourage you today that, that you would be reminded of the power of the Holy Spirit in us and that today that you would ask God through His Spirit to remind you of just the way in which God wants you to rely on Him and find power and presence in your life. It's, it's kind of like I've described to my kids, I've tried to describe to my kids what it was like when the internet didn't exist. I mean, or what it was like in those first few months of the internet when we went from, we, from dial-up and then to contrast that with what 4G and 5G are like. What life was like pre 2000 June 2007 when that first iPhone came out and it's really hard to describe to them what it was like to sit. I remember the very first um, ethics project that I had to turn in 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 a college ethics class was just to find three articles about a particular subject and how I would sit there and wait on dial-up for sometimes 15 or 20 minutes is I heard the machine humming, waiting to see if the website would even come up. That's kind of what it's like when we're not walking with the Spirit. We're just, we're waiting, we're struggling. We don't even know if life is working. But then, when we have the Spirit, when the Spirit gives us utterances, when God leads us, it's like we have everything involved. But a smartphone, that's not even a good example because it, it just speaks of information it doesn't speak to relationship and intimacy, which is what the Spirit offers us. So join me. I just want to say a quick prayer for us, and then we're going to take a brief look at the identity of who the Spirit is in our life. So pray with me. Father, thank You for the person of Jesus who has modeled for us what it looks like to live as a human being who's truly alive, who has 
joy in following You, God. And thank You, Jesus, that You've said that it's, that it's even better that You would go away because You're going to send the Holy Spirit. And so, God, we pray today. Holy Spirit, You are in us if we are followers of Christ. Holy Spirit, would You speak to us about all the capabilities and opportunities, God, that we have in knowing You, in following You, in finding joy in You, in seeing the glory of God revealed, and Jesus, in seeing Your kingdom come and Your will be done as we learn what it means to stay in step with Your Spirit. Holy Spirit, would You, would you give each of us one word today, a way in which we can rely on you more. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, look with me, if you would, at verses 15 through 17. We're going to spend the majority of our time in these first three verses, and then we're going to take a quick glance at verses 18 through 31, and I'll encourage you to spend more time in that section um, on your own. In verses 15 through 17, we see that the Holy Spirit is a helper. The Holy Spirit is a helper. We're going to talk about what that means. In verse 15, Jesus says to his disciples, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. This speaks more towards our motivation than towards perfection. For any of you who would read this and you would say, oh, I'm in real trouble because I sin regularly. I don't know that I can say that I keep Jesus' commandments. Jesus is speaking more toward motivation than he is toward perfection. It's important that we remember that obedience to Jesus is an, is an attribute of his true followers. It's not a precondition. We'll never be perfect on our own. It's why we need Jesus. But we obey Jesus because we love Him. And we're convinced that His way of life is the way to truly live. Let me say that again. We obey Jesus because we love Him. And we're convinced that the more and more that we come to know the truths of Scripture, we're convinced that His way of life is the way to truly live. When I was growing up and I was young, I thought it was the way to truly live because it led to holiness. And holiness seemed really boring to me. But it was the right thing. And as I come to grow older, I come to see that holiness is not only the right thing, but that the holy way of living is a joyous thing. It's the way to really live. Last spring, I was out of town. And I came back um, home and to find that my wife had come to a new conclusion. That she uh, suddenly seemingly out of nowhere, wanted chickens. She had always joked about wanting chickens, but she had done the research. She had researched and she had all these different plans for building a chicken coop. And she said, I really want chickens. To which I said, okay. And she was really surprised. And she said, what do you mean, okay? What she didn't understand was that in all the other times that she had talked about chickens, my only experience with chickens had been, well, actually shoveling chicken manure. And I knew what that was like. And quite honestly, my experience with chickens was pretty stinky. But I could tell that she really wanted chickens. And because she wanted chickens, and because I love her, well, what do you think happened? We built a chicken coop. I think I've got a picture for you. And... 
did I build the chicken coop because I love chickens? Well, I do now because I love what she loves. And if she wants chickens, then she convinced me that we should have chickens. And we got our first egg this last week. And the more that I'm around chickens, the more that I like them. Uh, It's funny. I love chickens because she does. We love what the one that we love loves. As we come to know Jesus, the things that he loves, the more we know him, the more that we love those things. Now, that illustration pales in comparison because my love is imperfect and Katie's love is imperfect, but all of the Bible's commandments are for our good. They're the way to truly find life and joy because that's Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is our helper in obeying Jesus. So the Holy Spirit actually helps and enables us to have greater joy as we come to know the person of Jesus. But we, like the disciples, we obey imperfectly. And so we need a helper. And in verse 16, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Now let me ask you a question. You might have different filters when it comes to thinking about the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've had past experiences in which you had friends and the way in which they interacted with who they claimed to be the person of the Holy Spirit left you wondering, left you uncertain. Let me ask you this question. Do you think Jesus was a helper? Do you think that His work on the cross and that the resurrection helps those who follow Him. If you do, He says that the Holy Spirit is another helper. And Jesus is going to say that that He is even better because He isn't just beside us, but that He is inside of each of us who are believers. Now this word that's used in verse 16, the word that in the ESV is translated helper, in other translations... It's been translated counselor, comforter. Some translations have even left it um, the, the English equivalent of the Greek word, which is the word paraclete. And they've left that word because in a lot of ways, it's untranslatable if you try to find one particular English word that would sum up this word that we see John use four different times in the New Testament. The word paraclete, Uh, As it's translated counselor, it has the idea of to come alongside or to encourage or particularly to exhort. It's counselor not speaking of a camp counselor or a marriage counselor. So don't think about laying down on the couch and spilling your story to someone. That's not the kind of counselor that Jesus is speaking of here. But more along the lines of a legal counsel. Someone who would help you in court. who would, You would say, my charges were dismissed because I had good counsel. Or, another word that's been used and translated for paraclete is comforter. Now, not the kind of comforter that you have on you right now if you're sitting on your sofa. And, and not the kind of comforter when someone would soften um, something that's taken place and say, oh, I'm so sorry. That's, that's, even though the Holy Spirit does bring comfort, this is more... A comforter, someone who enables a hopeless person to be brave. I think about um, the movie Braveheart as, as he rides along and as he gives 
comfort or encouragement to, to soldiers who are hopeless. And, and he encourages them and he builds them up. The paraclete or counselor or comforter who encourages you. The Holy Spirit encourages us to be courageous and to not lose hope. And that's the, that's the danger that the disciples were facing at this time. They were facing the danger of losing hope. And some of you need the Holy Spirit as a helper, a paraclete, counselor, a comforter. You need Him now, specifically in this period of time, because you're tempted to lose hope. Some of you have lost hope because you're dealing with grief, or maybe even dealing with depression. Some of you are losing hope because you're dealing with loss during this time. As we look at our lives, we're lots of different things on a daily basis where we are experiencing loss. Some of you are losing hope in your marriages that they'll ever be different. And you need the courageous hope that the Holy Spirit gives to us. And the Holy Spirit is in you. And He speaks to you during these times of hopelessness. And it's during these times that you actually hear His voice. Maybe not in an audible way, but that you pay attention to the Holy Spirit because you're needy. Needy people need a helper. Prideful people have it all together. And they don't need anyone. One of the keys to listening to the Holy Spirit is to be humble and needy. Prayer, Bible study, fasting, submitting to community... Asking for accountability. All of these things are rhythms in which we are expressing our neediness. Think about that. Prayer, we're coming to God and saying that, that I need help. God, I need help in knowing your will. God, I need help. There are things that, that, that don't exist in my life. When it comes to not just prayer, but Bible study. God, I need to know the wise way to live. I need to know um, the ways of your kingdom. Prayer, Bible study. When it comes to fasting, God, I, I have so many thirsts and so many hungers that are not you. And so, God, I'm going to fast from those in order that I could hunger and thirst after you in a greater way. I am needy. Submitting to community. Realizing that I can't even see my own story clearly apart from sharing my story in my life with others who are around me. Accountability that we would say, God, that I can't live life on my own. I need the help of others. Each of these rhythms of grace in our life and the way that God has commanded His church to live express our neediness and the fact that we don't have what it takes. So think about what it says if you don't pray, if you don't read God's Word on a regular basis, if you don't submit yourself to the people of God, then you're saying, I've got it all figured out. I'm fine. Which we know, fine simply means freaked out, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. And that's how a lot of us are feeling right now. We're feeling fine. And we need the help of the Spirit. We need the help of the community that God has placed around us. Jesus says that He's going to send a helper, a paraclete, a counselor, a comforter. 
And in verse 17, he says that this is the spirit of truth, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit of truth. Jesus has shown us what truth looks like embodied in a person. And now the Holy Spirit enables us to walk in the truth of Jesus. We get in real trouble as followers of Jesus when we say to others, hey, go be Jesus to someone. That would literally mean go crucify yourself on a cross and and be raised from the dead, by the way. Like, do you realize that? Like, we've probably all said that at one time or another. We're going to go be Jesus to someone. But literally to do that, you would have to be crucified and raised from the dead. And I don't think that that's in any of our job descriptions. And I don't think any of us have those types of strengths. And so really what we're doing is we are, we're not going to be Jesus, but we're to live in light of Jesus. And the only way that we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who is now at work not around us or not just kind of encouraging us like a friend patting us on the back, but who is in us, meaning that even when we want to get away from God, that He is in us. That He is the most intimate of any friend. He is the Spirit of truth. And God shows us truth by illuminating the truth of His Word to us through the Spirit. In fact, if you're wondering, like, Brad, where are you going with this? So you've said that the Holy Spirit is a paraclete. He's a comforter. He's a teacher. He's a counselor. How can we know Him? Well, I would just begin by saying that we can't know Him outside of the Word of God. One of the primary ways in which the Spirit works in us is that the is that the Spirit illuminates the Word of God to us. In fact, you can't walk with the Spirit without knowing the Word of God. The Word was all about Jesus. That's what John chapter 5, verse 39 says, is that everything about these Scriptures point us to Jesus. And the Spirit points to Jesus' words and His works. And so... It's ironic that when the Holy Spirit is present, you aren't even thinking about the Holy Spirit. Instead, you're thinking about Jesus because that's the Holy Spirit's primary work is to point us to Jesus, to shine a spotlight on Jesus and to illuminate Jesus. The Spirit's work is to direct you to notice something else. J.I. Packer calls the world of the Spirit a floodlight ministry. Quietly turning everyone's attention away from himself and to the Savior. The theologian Dale Bruner calls him, in fact, the shy member of the Trinity. Because he doesn't like attention on himself. The Spirit is always pointing us and illuminating Jesus. His words and His works. It's the Holy Spirit who both enables us to understand and fulfill the Word of God. It's impossible apart from His help. We desperately need His help. Particularly in today's culture. Listen to me for just a minute, church. Uh, A new study came out this last week and George Barna commented on this study and it's uh, 
it's probably the most disturbing study that, that I've ever seen in my lifetime. Because the truth of the matter is this, while there are more resources available to the church in the West than any other time in all of history. And I know pastors are, are just common for, for overstatement. Like this is probably the most important passage that we'll ever study. We say that like week after week. But I can't think of another time in all of history. Think about how long we've had the printing press. Just a few hundred years. Now we have the internet. In fact, we have so many resources around us that if you don't like the resources that you have available to you, like if you don't like my preaching this morning, no problem. You can just turn me off and you can go find your favorite preacher. You can just log in now because of the pandemic and you can watch almost anyone's services, not literally just in the United States, but in almost real time across the world. There are more resources available to the church, particularly in the West, than any other time in all of history. Untold resources at the touch of a button. Yet at the same time, the church is so very quickly redefining biblical beliefs according to secular values at an alarming rate. And the alarming rate is this. I've seen churches planted by acquaintances in this city in the last 10 years. And in a short decade, those churches will move from believing the Bible to beginning in a short decade to to move toward what not the Bible says, but what culture says. I'll give you a few percentages. From this study, which was made up of some charismatics, some mainline evangelicals, some Catholics... Um, typically people that we would think of as believing the Bible and following after it, a kind of traditional orthodox group, 52% said they don't believe in objective moral truth, meaning that most likely the Bible is not infallible or fully trustworthy. 52%. 43% believe Jesus sinned. 58% believe the Holy Spirit is a symbol of, And not a person. 75% believe people basic, believe that people are basically good instead of basically sinful. These are supposedly Bible believing Christians who are part of churches who are now very quickly choosing to believe what culture points them to more than what the Word of God says. I mean, I won't even address the statistics about the sanctity of human life or the biblical standard of marriage between one man and one woman. These beliefs that have been clear biblical values that the church has recognized as the Word of God. And not just the Word of God, but the best way to be a human and to live life and to find joy, the way in which Jesus lived These clear biblical values that the church has recognized, honestly, since the book of Acts and even before, yet so quickly, religious communities are reflecting contemporary worldly influence rather than biblical influence. Why? The truth is this, no matter how entertaining our programming 
or charismatic our preaching, no matter how visionary our leadership, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, we can do nothing. We can do nothing. And following the work of man produces nothing. That's what the next chapter in John's Gospel is going to show us. And so honestly, it doesn't matter how many resources we have at our disposal. It doesn't matter how great our leadership is. And I think it's one of the reasons why we see the church in America in steep decline. Because we have so many resources available to us that we've tried everything but prayer and a desperate dependence upon the Holy Spirit. And apart from that, God says that we can do nothing. Kind of as a side note, in verse 17, if you split up verse 17 into three sections, it begins, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Pay particular attention to that, what we would call 17b, and this will save you some grief, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. It neither sees Him nor knows Him. This will save you a lot of grief. Just as a side note, some of you are out there arguing with people in the world expecting them to understand logic that only the Holy Spirit reveals to the children of God. Be careful that you don't try to hold non-believers up to biblical standards or try to convince them to think the way that you think. Instead, pray that the Holy Spirit will convict them of their sin and their need for Jesus. I don't know anyone who's ever been argued into the kingdom of God. It's the Holy Spirit who does the work in our hearts. Really quick, I want to I end with, in verses 18 through 24, you can read them on your own. We see the intimacy that the Holy Spirit brings into our lives. In verses 18 through 24, it begins with the words, I will not leave you as orphans. And we see this intimacy that we have with the Father because of the Spirit's work. Jesus is saying that, that even that he even goes on to say that he will manifest himself to those who love him. That God will do this. And so we have to ask the question, how do we sense this intimacy with Jesus through the Holy Spirit? How do we recognize when he is manifesting himself to us? Are there special insights he gives us? Are there, are there dreams and visions? Are there holy ambitions that he gives us? How do we know how to hear the Spirit? I think that a simple answer is that in order to have intimacy, we must have interaction. So often, we think of the Christian life as something we do for God rather than something that we do with God. Therefore, for some of us who have been around the church, particularly if you've been around the church for a long period of time, it will likely be necessary that we slow down some of our religious activities in order to create space to interact with the Holy Spirit. That we not be so busy doing things for God that we find lives in which we are not walking with God. I'm not suggesting that you stop attending on Sundays. Listen, I'm certainly not suggesting that you start giving, right? No, no preacher in his right mind would ever suggest that. Most certainly not. But it might be better if we read a psalm. Maybe then, and spent some time meditating on it. Maybe rather than trying to get through the Bible in a year. If we're just trying to read in order to say that we accomplished it. And I'll quote the 
musical theologian Bono from you too. He said, religion is what happens when the Holy Spirit has left the building. And I think it would be um, really wise on our parts if we ask the question, has the Holy Spirit left the building in my life? Not literally. He promises to be with us. But are we busy doing things for Him? Are we interacting with Him? Secondly, we see in verses 25 through 31, or I'm sorry, thirdly, that not only is the Holy Spirit our helper and that He is the way that we have intimacy and interaction with God, but that He is our teacher. Verses 25 through 31 really encourage you to study these more on your own. Jesus is promising His disciples that it's going to all work out in the end. I'll point particularly to verse 26. In verse 26, he says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. I've oftentimes misunderstood that, that particular verse in order to think that in crucial moments that God will just remind us of everything that the, that the Spirit needs for us to know, and He'll remind us of all truth. And while, while I think that that is true, there are other passages that speak to that. In this particular section, it seems as if Jesus is saying to the disciples, I'm giving you a lot of information right now, and you're not understanding it. It's not all making sense to you. But the Holy Spirit is going to bring to remembrance the things that I have said, so that in the end, in light of the cross, and then the glorious resurrection, it's going to all work out. Maybe not work out for you, but it's all going to work out in the end in your understanding of the kingdom of God and the glory of God and how God is revealing His purposes and His plans even in the chaos of your life. And the Holy Spirit is a teacher He helps us to put the puzzle pieces together. Sometimes we never even understand them in our lifetime, but it's generations later who come to understand the way in which God was at work. Sometimes it's our lives who merely provide the footprint so that generations who come after us would see how the glory of God in a very faint way was displayed and they will follow after us in those footprints and God's glory will be revealed. And the kingdom of God will come. The Holy Spirit, He's a helper. He connects us to God and provides intimacy. He is our teacher. And He will remind us of Jesus' perfect love that casts out all fear in our life. Maybe you're walking through some difficulties in your life today. I just want to encourage you. Ask the question as I wrap up. How do you need to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is a helper That He's an encourager who fills you with courage. Who helps you in your hopelessness. That He provides intimacy. That He provides interaction with the Father so that we know not only what God calls us to do, but that we know that we are liked and that we are loved and that we find joy and that we find hope in Jesus and life with God. And thirdly, He is our teacher who brings awareness that God sees you and that He is at work in the chaos of your everyday life, pointing you to His plan, bringing peace into your life, and causing you to do the work, the kingdom work that He's laid out for you. 
as we wrap up today, I just want to remind you of a danger. The reality is, is that preachers like me and missionaries like all of us spend a lot of energy talking about God, focused on helping others see God, all the while their own capacity for relating with God and others becomes diminished. Let me say that again. We spend a lot of energy talking about God and helping others see God, all the while their own capacity for relating with God and others becomes diminished. I've realized in my own life the need to interact with the Holy Spirit. I can fill my days with so much doing that there's very little time for being. And so I've come to find in my life that honestly the most important thing that I do is to begin my day with a walk and with the Scriptures and with prayer. And to just begin that rhythm of saying, Holy Spirit, I need you. Walking in the neediness that comes in dependence on the Spirit. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you, in your ultimate wisdom and knowledge, have given us a comforter, an encourager, the Holy Spirit. God, would you show each of us today, would you show our church body and this family the way in which you are calling us to depend and rely upon your Spirit. Holy Spirit, encourage us, teach us, bring us into the intimacy that has existed in the community of the Trinity for all of time in order that Jesus would be glorified and that we would live joyous lives as we know you and follow you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.